0: Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode 49 of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Sometimes this podcast is about helping you to become a better parent or partner, brother or sister, and sometimes I try to bring you information that is either healthy or just really interesting. I love hearing about new ideas and things that people are doing in their community to connect. Today's episode is all about that. I have a good friend, Lynn, who's in my book club, and she has been involved in a project that I've been interested in for a really long time. I find it really intriguing and it is all about connecting. So, today, my guests are two of the founding members of Co Housing Houston. Lynn Morristead has landed in Houston after decades of globetrotting for work and pleasure. She has two 20 something children and a soulmate husband she met while working on an IT project in the corporate world. Now, she's channeling all of her energies and skills into building the first co housing community in Texas. Kelly Soika and her family left their co housing community in Colorado to move to Houston three years ago. She and her husband are raising three teenagers, and Kelly is using her jack of all trades skill set to help build co housing in Texas. So, co housing is a small, intentional community of private homes clustered around a shared space, and it usually includes a large kitchen, dining area, and recreational areas. And the idea is to build a neighborhood that integrates green design with a social, supportive community life. Neighbors know one another. They've worked with an architect to design their dream environment and to tread lightly on the earth. And so I want to welcome my guests today, Lynn and Kelly, to talk about co-housing Houston. Thank you so much for joining me welcome lynn and kelly i'm so excited to have you guys here today hey thank you so much for inviting
1: us hey we're excited too
0: so i i love what you guys are doing um i i love this idea of intentional community and co-housing and when i was talking to lynn the other day lynn and i have been in a book club for about 10 years and i i've known for many, many years that you were working Mm -hmm. on this project. But when we were talking about it the other day, just almost this light bulb went off that you would be perfect for this podcast because the whole podcast is about connecting. And that's really what the whole thing Mm -hmm. of intentional community and co-housing is about. So for our listeners who like me, before I met you, Lynn, I had no idea what co-housing was. Can you tell them about co-housing and uh, intentional communities?
1: Yeah, well, I can speak to part of the story because um, I have actually never lived in co-housing before, so I'm just kind of on the theoretical side of it and experiencing some of the benefits virtually these days. And then Kelly can talk to you about actually living in co-housing because she's done that for six years. Um, So so co-housing is a, a concept whereby we all own our own homes as we do here today in our neighborhood, but we're all clustered around a shared green space and we have shared uh, shared common house in the design of this. And so we, we have a very large shared life that comes together and it's designed such that that happens much more naturally, uh, which takes some architecting in Texas. As you know, for those of you that live in Texas, we try to avoid any kind of situation where we might be outdoors and having to spend time in the yard or on the driveway talking to people because it is too hot. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a it's more of what people might think of. I like to say since I grew up in Europe is kind of an old fashioned English green where all the houses are clustered around this green and we're all looking uh, to each other. We know our comings and goings. But we and we have a sense of strong belonging, but we all still live in our own private personal spaces. So it's not like a glorified college dorm, which is a big fear of some people. But I'm going to ask Kelly to talk more about the lived experience.
2: Yeah, thanks, Lynn. So, yeah, the design is definitely really important because the design is what facilitates better relationships and deeper relationships. Um, it's been interesting for me to move from cohousing into a more traditional, you know, I lift up the garage door, I pull my car in, I close the garage door, and I can get my groceries within, you know, 20 steps to the, to the fridge. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the traditional way that people live. It's very convenient for the things that you need to do every day. The difference with cohousing is it's really convenient for the people who you live around to interact every day so there are some real keys to how that community gets built. And one of them is having some shared things that you do together. So you would have shared meals. Uh, there are common house dinners a couple of times a week in most co-housing communities. Um, and, and you know to sit down and just eat dinner with your neighbors regularly is really different than the way that most people live and what that does is facilitates kind of moving beyond this hey how's it going stage. To really being able to care about what's going on in people's lives. The second one is that um, you have shared work in that kind of community. Um, Mm -hmm. You have uh, your self managed, there are gardens, there are things that people need to do. So you have a real sense of accomplishment with your neighbors when you go out and get things done. You also literally have things to talk about, which is important. You know, it can't always be about. What are the big things going on in your life? It also mm. should be about, hey, what are we going to do on Saturday about the lawn? <laughs> you know, it, mm-hmm. it expands that kind of conversation from you and your partner, or you and your spouse to a bigger group of people. And then the third one is this kind of everyday encounters. You just need to see people frequently. You need to brush up against them and meet them where they are. You know, When I pull into my into my garage, I can make plans with someone to get a cup of coffee or to go for a walk or to go do something. But that requires some work. Um, in cohousing, you pull in and you get out of your car and you have to walk. You have to walk to your to your front door. And it's that walk that makes the, your life move from inside your house out into the neighborhood. And so you see your neighbors, you run into them. Sometimes you chat, sometimes you just wave, sometimes you notice something. But all of that builds the relationship in in cohousing. housing
0: mm-hmm. I I've done some research on friendship and one of the biggest predictors of friendship, if not the biggest, it may be the biggest is proximity. And you're building this, um, you're not just physical proximity, but sort of this um, consequential proximity where you're going to have to run into people because we have physical proximity, but you could still not know your next door neighbor's name in a traditional neighborhood.
2: Yeah. So true, so true. And even if you know I think about like dinner clubs, supper clubs, things like that that are social clubs, that is really important. That's a, a valuable social experience. But I also think moving beyond that to having some sort of shared purpose is really what takes a relationship to the next level. Um, And you'll notice that in your own friendships, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you meet someone and then you run into them again. That's kind of the encounters. And then maybe you go out for coffee and then maybe you go out for dinner. That's the social part. But then eventually, maybe you're planning something together or maybe you're trying to, uh, you know, figure out how to go on vacation together. And suddenly you have kind of a shared purpose. And that really takes a relationship to a different level.
1: Yeah. And, you know, of course, I was just thinking while you were saying that, Kelly, that, you know, we're all, we're, there's three women on the phone here and, uh, and we're all looking at relationships from a very female perspective. And as we know, dealing with teenagers and we see how men interact with each other, they, they, they're into this kind of parallel play mode Mm -hmm. of getting closer. And I think that's, where we see in co-housing and even some of the things that we're doing here, not yet living together, is that having something that we work on together is what is actually building these relationships.
0: That's such a good point, Lynn, because, you know, my husband and I talk about this frequently, and I see it in my clients in private practice. Women just build and maintain their relationships overall, typically Mm -hmm. better than men. And I know we're not supposed to, in this day and age, make gender stereotypes, but the research bears it out. And I see so many men that are really, really lonely because they don't know how to make those deep connections. And you're right for them. Mm -hmm. But even as you were talking, Kelly, I was thinking about my closest friendships And there are women I started a women's group with at church or people that I was in grad school with and Mm -hmm. we were all working together or people in various clubs. You're right, when we have a shared purpose. And I think that's particularly true also for men, that they're more comfortable building deep relationships when there Mm -hmm. is something to work on, something to do, an activity. And the research shows that. I'm thinking back again. I did my master's thesis on friendship. and, And we do know that men maintain friendships through doing activities together. And women don't necessarily need to do activities to maintain friendships.
1: No. But, you know, I have to say personally, and Kelly and I have joked about this a lot, is that I am such a task-oriented person. And Kelly and I are on the front end of a lot of the membership and marketing component of this project that I tease her that when we move in together and we don't have any of this work to do, I'm not sure we're going to be friends anymore because I have to be doing work with her. Yeah. We're going
2: to find new work, Lynn. There's always with more work promise, to do. Don't worry. Promise. <laughs> I
0: promise. I know. Lynn, I often tease you about that. I was thinking about that the other day at book club because I, I always make jokes about that, but you know it's <laughs> out of love and admiration, right? Yes, I do. You are you you are so, I, and it's maybe even a little bit jealous <laughs> because you're so good at, Yeah. Um, Being a taskmaster and getting things done. And um, but look at all the community and all the friendships you've built around that. So, I mean, you're the perfect person. So I guess let's kind of move into that. It's kind of leading to my second question was what specifically motivated you to build it. And and I haven't ever asked you this, slim but I just know you're the type <laughs> of person that like, well, if I want something, I'm going to go make it happen. <laughs> so tell me the story though, because you guys are right now building the first co-housing community in Texas, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm one of the founding members and the origin story on the Houston, Texas co-housing community all goes back to I think it was January of 2017, and there was a friend of a friend who um, his wife had put him on notice. So it was this is Tom King, who had was married late in life for a second time, found the love of his life. And he had been talking about co-housing forever. And his new wife told him, Tom, you're either going to do this thing or you're going to stop talking about it because you've just been obsessing about this for years, ever since mm-hmm. you would met him. And so he said, okay, I'm going to start putting the word out there. And this, this couple was a friend of another friend. So we all had a lunch together in their home and he had a big whiteboard and he started drawing this roadmap of how this would work. He had been in touch with somebody who um, has written several books on co-housing, who had, I think, done their architecture uh, thesis uh, at Berkeley based on co-housing that they had stumbled across in Denmark when they were doing their year abroad, and they brought it back to the U.S., and somehow Tom King heard about this, and he was just smitten. He was absolutely taken with this. And part of that, I think, came from his involvement in the world community for Christian meditation and belonging to a large Catholic family of eight Mm -hmm. kids. And he just wanted to reproduce that whole thing. So anyway, I heard it within five minutes of Tom starting to talk about it. And I didn't really know Tom. I was like, I'm in. I'm in all the way. It has so many hooks back to things that I've experienced living abroad. Uh, living as a young professional in Germany in kind of a co living situation where I didn't have my own home, but it's a similar concept, kind of a more like a um, a more I would say more rigorous version of a U.S. Uh, roommate situation where we were making more decisions together and doing work together. So I was all in, and then we had to start getting beyond just that small group of people in that living room in a Westview house, um, and so we then started. Uh, setting up public information sessions at the Black Lab in 2017. And then we eventually, in November of 2017, invited Katie McCammett, who is the consultant that I was talking about, to come to Houston and give a talk. And we managed to get 150 people to show up at the Asia Society on a Friday night to do a talk. And then the Saturday and Sunday following that, she conducted a two-day intensive workshop And coming out of that, we then launched work teams to start finding a site to do this, to start organizing our finances and the legal structure, to start doing membership and marketing activities. And that really served as the catalyst and the launch pad. And from that original, what we call Getting It Built Workshop back in November 2017, we still have several households who are part of that founding group. And we've then been working very hard to find land Mm -hmm. and um, move people beyond. And as you know, Kim, in 2017, in the middle of all this, we flooded in Harvey. Mm -hmm. And so we had one of those experiences where we we recaptured that spirit in Houston of community, support, Mm
2: -hmm. neighborliness.
1: And for me, that just really sealed the deal. So, I have a tagline. Kelly even created a virtual uh, bumper sticker for me that she will put on things and put it out on social media every now and then. To me, co housing is disaster free neighborliness. Like, I'm really sad at the end Mm -hmm. of a disaster, even though I flooded and it was a nightmare, because we all then retreat into our safe, all orderly environment again, and we barely waved to each other from the driveway. And I I had one explorer tell me who came to investigate our, our community still with us, and he said, you know, I hate to admit it, but I almost look forward to what's going to happen when I start seeing Frank Billingsley and channel two started saying, we've got three storms in the Gulf. And there's sort of this dangerous excitement about it because, oh my gosh, we might experience this outburst of community and connection and belonging. And so that's really what keeps me going and moving forward.
0: It really, it was amazing Lynn. And I think we were my family was one of the first to show up at your house after you flooded yes. in our neighborhood. And my little daughter—I have a picture of her <laughs> swinging a sledgehammer in your garage. And we delivered pizza. We drove up and down the streets delivering Domino's pizzas that people from all over the country had sent. My daughter—I'm oh. almost embarrassed to say this—loved Harvey for that exact reason that yeah. you're talking about See? because. There was this sense of community, and don't get me wrong, people lost so much. And I still counsel Mm -hmm. people, and still in myself, I admitted to you, Lynn, have some PTSD. Had it at 5 a.m. this morning when we had a storm. I still don't have power. (laughs) Um, But this morning, when that happened, Lynn, it felt like the earth was splitting open because I think our electric blocks, I think, was struck by lightning. I don't know what happened, but. I thought of this interview and I thought, wow, how nice it would be to, I would feel safe in that community that there are other Mm. people with us kind of going through this, in this thing together. And, you know, when you think about COVID and all of the things that we're experiencing with such more frequency, we're experiencing so many more disasters. How nice would it be to have that strength in numbers?
1: It builds resilience and redundancy in your life that you don't mm-hmm. have when you live on an island, as yeah. we do, most of us.
0: We do. So, Kelly, can you share with me just a little bit about what it's been like for you living? Because you have lived in a co-housing community.
2: Yeah. Well, what brought us to co-housing in the first place is I feel like um, I, I'm kind of all about community. If we're gonna be really gendered, <laughs> I am definitely the relationship builder and the person who had had experience with community gardens and community preschool and all of those things. And I really saw a lot of value in my parenting um, and in my my broader life of having other people around to help, mm-hmm. you know, and to help me help figure things out together, have sounding boards, be in it all together. If I'm gonna be on this raft of parenting three kids, I want as many people on it with me as possible. That was me. Mm -hmm. And then there was my husband who was not so much that way. And he, in particular, you know, has a very busy career and travels a lot for work. And also I would say that his identity is often uh, really shaped and defined by work. You know, the people he knows, where he goes, the things that he does. And so for him, he just didn't see why this was going to add a ton of value to his life. But I think he could see that it would be good for for me and for our girls. And so he he was willing to give it a try. And then the interesting thing, as we as we lived in co-housing, it fulfilled my need to have those people around in good times and bad, you know, to help with the mundane and to help with the big things. For him, it was a different experience because I think he really felt like it gave him a whole other world separate from work mm-hmm. that had those same elements, again, mm-hmm. of, you know, purpose and tasks and, you know, regular things, you know, mm-hmm. he, he could get in from the airport and just pop in at community dinner and stay and help clean up. And it gave him kind of that structure of being able to slot in very easily to family life. And so it's been interesting now being outside of co-housing, both of us have kept some of those, you know, same things. It changes you to live in that environment. But definitely some things I've noticed now when he travels for an extended period of time, he comes in and it's harder for him to slot back in again mm-hmm. because he's still you know in kind of work mode and the way that the way that work works you know especially if he's been in hotels for a week mm-hmm. and and he comes home to you know three kids and chaos and all kinds of stuff it's interesting to me that that, that is different for him outside of co-housing than it is inside of co-housing um, and for me personally i miss having just that broader group being in a forming group helps for sure yeah. Because we've noticed that in our group, when anything happens, you know, good, bad or ugly, I I do have a group of people I can call. And they're unfortunately not like at the next door. Yeah. But um, but people come across town
0: to help. Well, it's interesting you talked about you and your husband being a little different because that was one of the things that I was going to ask you about. Like, I think about. My husband and I, it's interesting when we first got married 25 years ago, I was definitely the extrovert and the more social person. And I'm very much community-minded. But I've learned as I've grown older and matured, I'm actually really very introverted. He knows every neighbor's name. He stops and talks to every neighbor. I'm the one in a rush to get to where I'm going and a little bit more um, avoidant. But I, I definitely am introverted. And I think about this like... Are there certain kinds of people like he would kind of love this? I would be nervous about oh, I have to eat dinner three times a week with other people. Or... You don't have to. Okay, it's so that's impossible. what
2: ask. Like, I would
0: love it sometimes, but so that's what, how does this? Who are the people that really yeah. thrive and like how does it work for somebody? Because in a family, you are going to have a mix of really social, community minded people and some more introverted people.
2: For sure. I mean, it's a playground for extroverts, right? Because yeah. you've got people there all the time. And so for introverts married to an extrovert, it's kind of nice too, because um they can go expend that energy in the common mm-hmm. house and not wear down your energy. So that that's the first benefit to an introvert. Sign yeah. Me yeah. Up. Second, I <laughs> Come on,
1: I've been trying to yes. get you.
2: <laughs> go find a neighbor to go chat with or you know, or sometimes, you know, I I don't know, in my life, sometimes Mike is ready to, you know, kick back and chat. And I'm like, I still have seven hours of school forms to fill out. Yeah. So please go away. So, you know, it's nice because there's always somebody else in the community who can fill that need. Mm. The other thing that I notice a lot um, in life inside of co-housing versus outside is that life inside of co-housing is very, your social commitments are, are relatively defined. You know, it's yeah. like, I know that I'm going to be at community dinner on Monday nights from six to seven 30 and maybe I'll stay and help clean up even if it's not my turn, but I'm going to be home by eight. Mm-hmm. And so for an introvert, you know, you have two hours and none of it is chit chat time. <laughs> There's no, it's not like a two hour, you know, cocktail party where you're getting to know people and you're dressed mm-hmm. up and you've got makeup on and you're, you know, really trying. It's really like roll in as you are and who you are mm-hmm. at six, spend two hours hanging out with people who already really know you and who you really know. So it's a low energy activity that tends to feed you rather than you feeding Mm. the energy of the activity. And then you're done. (laughs) Whereas in the in the the rest of the world, it's like, you know, you notice like very few things have an end time. It's like, come at Mm. six. And Meet a bunch of people you don't really know and look nice and stay for a long time. And we're relying on you to help this you know, party happen, which has its place, is super fun. It's just a big energy investment and not something that people mm-hmm. want to expend every day.
1: You know, Kelly, I was going to add my husband is an introvert. And he, the way he would talk about it if he was in this uh, conversation right now is he would tell you that being an introvert doesn't mean that you don't enjoy being with people. What it, I think it gets mm-hmm. back to this energy component that Kelly was talking about. He loves being in our co-housing community and is very social with the people there. The thing that stresses him out is having to make conversation with somebody he doesn't know or having to go through all of those initial hurdles that Kelly was talking about, that you're staying at that kind of... Um, Kind of what I call kind of the the makeup stage of uh, oh earlier you mentioned uh,
2: resume virtues like that resume yeah like yes. when you're at that stage of relationship with someone and you really are just kind of going through your resume like again and
1: again you know yeah yeah. And he doesn't want to do that. It takes a lot of energy. He doesn't feel comfortable. He's a very understated guy, very modest. And he encounters the world often where a lot of the world is sort of, you know, flashing all of their accomplishments or who they know, et cetera. And he's that's a turnoff. And so he just doesn't want to participate. But if he gets into a comfortable rhythm with people... Then he's very happy to sit around, and he doesn't even need a task. Let me tell you, he's quite happy in the non-task realm. So, um, I, I he really does. I think one of the best jobs of talking about being an introvert in a community because he is really looking forward to that. In addition to the fact that when I become too much, he can say, "Lynn, please go to the common house and find somebody else to play with," because I'm not. I'm not doing that, you know.
0: Those are great distinctions because as you were talking, that's that's so true. My husband says, Kim, you're not an introvert. You just hate small talk. And I really do hate Mm -hmm. small talk. I am the person, if I do go to a party, that finds one or two people and I'm in the corner talking to those people deeply the whole night rather than going around and saying Mm -hmm. hello to everybody. I love deep connections. I hate surface connections. Mm And I don't get anxious. It's not social anxiety, but it's like, that's what I like, just what you're saying, those deep connections, those authentic connections where you're showing up just as you are and nothing else. And so, um, but it, it, even that can be exhausting. And so, is there someone that you think, maybe not introverts, obviously it, it sounds like this works for you, whether you're introverted or extroverted, but is there someone that kind of this, sort of living doesn't work
2: for? I think, you know, there are different times in life too. So it's kind of like you need to integrate into the community at a time in life when you can really give something because you get out of it what you Mm -hmm. put in, right? So if you integrate into the community at a time where you are able to um, be changed by the community, where you're able to really Mm -hmm. be open and listening, where you're interested in moving past, you know, the chit-chat stage, where you're really where mm-hmm. you would really want to be a part of the community, then the community can sustain you like forever. Because you know? <laughs> there are going to be times in life where yeah. so maybe you were that person. And then, you know, four years later, you have a colicky baby and nobody sees you or you are suddenly in grad school and you're off. Or in my previous community, there was a couple and they moved away. You know, they were like physically gone. But they kept their house and they came back and reintegrated into the community and were wonderful community members because they'd had that formative experience at the beginning. So I think that you know if you're at a stage in life where you just there's nothing to give, then you probably not mm-hmm. it's probably not a good time for you to develop that level of relationship. Maybe that's the time in life where you really need to rely on your existing relationships um, rather than trying to find a new community of relationships. But I would say for most people, there are pockets of time in their lives where they're open and able to do this kind of
1: thing i I think that's I haven't heard you say that before Kelly and i really I think that's true and I think that um that openness that that I think is really it has to do with the listening that you mentioned because I know that our world is often structured around us just waiting for the, for our turn to speak Mm. as opposed to listening and moving from intellectually understanding that to really having a deep experience of what that means and how that shifts you and your involvement in the community has been for me personally, pretty profound. And we haven't even touched on the concept of, and we didn't mention this at the beginning of, of, fact that this entire community is based on consensus, mm-hmm. decision-making, which is something that you either think is a great idea mm-hmm. and you're not really sure how to move into that, but you'd like to learn, um, or you think it's a terrible idea because it's very wasteful and it doesn't really work at all. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a I can say personally, a, a having come at this with a, I'm really interested in this and I'm really curious in this and like I'd like to learn. I it's still hard, you know? It's yeah. so if you're a person who's not willing to learn or you're at a stage of your life where you don't have the broad the, you know the bandwidth to even tackle any kind of learning, then that might not be for you. But it's I think when you when you start thinking about who it wouldn't be for, it's not you like you can put a label on that per yeah. se, you know, and, and people have to kind of step into this pool T- check the temperature, wait around a little bit, kind of see how it fits. Are they willing to adapt a little bit to the pool? Can the pool adapt to them a little mm-hmm. bit so you come together? on it yeah
0: compromise that's what, what as you were talking I was thinking you have to yeah it's not a personality trait per se but are you at a stage in life I loved what you said Kelly where you have something to offer other people yeah and because that is the whole idea of this community when I think about it um, and that you can be adaptable that you can make compromises
1: um, you yeah, know, Kim- know go ahead I, I just want to stop right there because I actually personally, my I have a takeaway on this. I don't like the word compromise. Oh, okay. Because I do not feel like the shifts that I have made in my personal approach to some of the big decisions, I have not walked away feeling like I have compromised mm-hmm. quite. The, and this has been for me, this kind of huge transformational experience where we had, I'll just give you a very specific example. We had to make a decision. We decided we were going to have a pool. Okay. Every, that was a whole big thing in and of itself, but we all consented we were going to have a swimming pool. But then it came up to what was the location of the swimming pool. And there were two camps. One camp wanted it in this place and another camp wanted it in another place. And As we went through this long weekend, all in Zoom, let me just say too, so we're not even able to read all the body language, I ended up in a small group of two who were still in Camp B. And the rest of the community had gone to Camp A. And they moved us into a breakout group. (laughs) The Camp B got to be in their own breakout group, which was kind of interesting. And what we realized going through that conversation was that we were attached to our own preference. And we had actually not been listening Mm -hmm. to what the community was telling us. And by the time we surfaced from our breakout group, we had both realized that, oh, my gosh, if we were to listen to what the community was telling us about why it was really better for the entire community at large, we were then converted. It wasn't a matter of thinking that we were compromising, but we felt like, yes, of course, This other way is what's best for the entire community. I am so on board about this that the idea of having a preference just evaporated. So I really really want to get people thinking very differently than it being a compromise. When you really enter into this and you listen deeply and you're committed to the community, it is not a compromise. It is you are changed internally. You really are for the consensus,
0: yeah, yeah, because you see the greater good yeah. rather than just your own division. You care more needs.
1: about the community. Some preference of yours is—it's it, like I said—it literally evaporated for me. Oh, Lynn, this yeah. is my phrase yeah. with my
2: girls lately. <laughs> you can either be right, or you can be in relationship. Exactly, twelve-year-old, <laughs> <laughs> you can yeah. decide which one you want to be and. Often they still choose right, but hopefully we are working on moving them to choose a exactly. Yeah. And in
0: marriage counseling, which is what I do a lot um, for my job, we say you can be right or you can yeah.
2: be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. That's really good. Um, So tell me, I know that you've researched this, and I haven't researched specifically co-housing, but I know the mental and physical benefits of community. So can you share some of the real physical and mental benefits in your research that you found that people gain from an intentional community?
1: Well, I've got, I mean, here's one, and my second tagline, besides the, um, (laughs) you know, disaster free neighborliness. My second tagline is it's an inoculation against isolation. And as we touched mm-hmm. on a little bit before in my in my household, you know, under my roof right now, I'm lucky enough to not be living alone, so there are three of us. um my husband, myself, and my twenty six year old daughter, who's in medical school, so uh, she just hasn't launched yet for for some good reasons. But you know, Covid really showed us, the three of us bubbled up here together that we we cannot meet each other's needs completely and we really do need a broader mm-hmm. community. I can't tell you how often I would just say to those two, "Okay, that's it. I'm done with you guys." You know, like, "I want to play games. <laughs> I'm locked up with you two and I've got no other outlet. You're going to have to meet me halfway." So it was <laughs> a and then my husband would say, "I can't wait for you to have a common house to go to because I cannot play Scrabble with you one more time, you know? So I think it's it's that, um, it's an expansion. It's an extension of your life that it makes you more uh, resilient to situations. And for me, the the stresses of COVID just reinforce that, that need. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, Lynn,
2: because I would say
1: for me, the mental
2: benefit is um, a feeling of being settled of being in a place and around people to be exactly who you are um, and to be able to be seen as yourself completely when the minute you walk out of the door to, yeah, I guess to extend your home too, cause that's the way you live in your own home, you know, to be able to extend that out into a neighborhood. Um, and then for me, the the mm-hmm. physical, yeah, there's an interesting thing that I've been thinking about a lot that in co-housing, you just move around a lot more like you physically get up and move around because you need an avocado. And so you say, I need an avocado. And someone says, Oh, here's an avocado. (laughs) I'm I'm putting it on my doorstep. And then you walk and go get the avocado and you see people and, you know, you take your, your trash isn't just like in a trash can in your garage. You have to walk out and like put your trash with everybody else's trash. So every evening, you know, you go do that. Or the activity level of, of your neighbors affects, your activity level you know you see somebody walking by with their dog and the inclination of people living in Austin is say okay oh, hey, I'm going to walk my dog you want to go with then you go for a walk with that person whereas like my neighborhood is dog walking central but I have never had a neighbor here say I'm walking my dog just come along I see you getting out of your car dump mm-hmm. your stuff in the kitchen and come along um so like I just think mm-hmm. there's a physical element to it particularly as you are older you know it kind of enforces a lot more movement that you might give up otherwise, and when you're younger, when you have small kids, it helps you because you've got a lot more people watching kids, and they're able to play independently um, at an earlier age. So there's a lot less like sitting on the park bench while your child plays, but you're just sitting there. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's stuff to do and get around, and um, you know you can garden while they're doing other things. It's there's a physical element to it.
1: You know, Kelly, that that you know what? As you're talking about that, it just reminds me of all these conversations we've had with people who look at our design and they 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 just resist it. You know, everything in their soul says, "No, I don't want to carry my groceries that far. No, I don't want to have to uh, go to the." you know, to the to the elevator, to, to get up to my place, you know, I, I want to be able to just walk from my garage into my kitchen with everything. They're resisting it. And yet, on the other hand, they're buying into the idea that we need to do, we need to do something different, that we need yeah. to change the way we're living. Mm-hmm. But then the reality of it is, uh, is that, you know, like wanting to lose weight, but then the reality of what that might oh, doing mean. It. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, Lynn, I think that
1: that's because mm-hmm.
2: um, people are fearful that they might not be able to do it on their own. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. And so then maybe the next kind of mental element is that there are other people around you to help you. So let's say, oh, like my husband broke his foot in and it was in Colorado. So he had to like be on crutches. Uh, in Colorado walking from the, you know, <laughs> drop off point to the house when he would get home from the airport, lugging a suitcase, which is just not physically possible. Um, but neighbors would just see him, you know, there and they would just pull his suitcase home while he came along on his crutches. And I think that that's the element that most people can't really envision that if if I can't do something on my own, either short term or long term, that there are people around to help me with that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And that gives you a sense of strength and security that is mentally reassuring that, you know, you're not, I mean, it's not only, it's not not only when you're kind of in a need uh, position, but it's, it's also when you have an idea or about maybe doing something that's not needful or or in any way, but like a great idea, like you might think, oh, wouldn't Mm -hmm. that be fun? Like we have a great example from yesterday where Mm -hmm. Somebody in our community said, oh, let's put a little free library on our site. Me personally, I like them in my neighborhood, but like, oh, to build one of those, get it installed, get it registered, fill it with books, like, I'm not up for that task. But us as a community, somebody said, let's do it. And then before you knew it, we had somebody doing a drawing. Another guy (laughs) said, I've got a woodworking shop. Another Person, then Kelly brought it to her house, and all the kids came over and they painted. And then we have an artist in the group who did a nice design. And then we had some people with woodworking and experience and somebody with a postal. So, I mean, it went on and on and on. And yesterday we had, I don't know how many 12 people drove over to the site. We installed it, and it was just amazing. Like none of us would have made done that on our own. So, so I think it's, yeah. it's kind of the full spectrum of life, both from the needs and kind of the lower end, all the way up to the aspirational and doing more and being bigger and greater than we are on our own, which is extremely exciting. And I think mentally exhilarating for me, you know, inspiring.
0: It is. I mean, I mean, it's just going to, everybody listening is going to want to move in. Good. <laughs> <It sounds> so <laughs> right. But so do you know, like, Is there any research that shows people who live in these communities live longer, have better mental health, better physical health?
1: There is indeed, because they've been able to show that people who live in co-housing are actually able to live in place longer than they would have. I mean, no matter what their situation is. So it's not necessarily an aging, you know, Kelly's talked about her young fit yeah. athletic husband having a broken foot. So anything can befall anybody, any age, but because you, yeah. you have this community around you and it, you, it's not just a community. Like some people say, well, I live in a condo right now and we're all very good friends and neighbors, mm-hmm. et cetera. But you know, the thing is that that's just all luck and happenstance and at any point in time, the composition yeah. of wherever you're living today can turn over and that luck and, you know, natural kind of chemistry, it may, may not come into play with the person who moves in afterwards. Yeah. But when you come into co-housing, it's an understood agreement around how you are working together, how you're living together, and you you buy into that as you enter into the community. So like when Kelly talks yeah. about, you know, Somebody walk by walking their dog and there's an invitation on either say side. Can I come with you? Do you want to come with me? I never do that with any of my neighbors here. Like it's we don't live with that kind of an understanding. Right, and even right. people like I try and do stuff yep. for some of my neighbors, sometimes they're resistant because they don't feel like they can <laughs> pay back, which is another big thing in co-housing mm-hmm. it's understood that you're, you're making deposits into the bank. You know, Stephen Covey used to talk yeah. about deposits into the bank account. You're making a deposit into mm-hmm. the community at large, and your withdrawals look different yeah. at different times, but they're not one-on-one transactional mm-hmm. with the individual who made the deposit. So that gives you that kind of yeah. bigger pool to draw on and to, and to contribute to.
0: It's like an yeah. extended family. So you've mentioned a few ways that you're designing this to purposefully build community, um, kind of walking further with your groceries, I'm sure kind of where you park your cars, those sorts of things, the Green spaces, but can you talk a little bit more about? I know there's a community house, and I listened to a couple of your podcasts, and maybe there's community laundry. Just you tell me a little bit about yeah. those ways that will kind of force people to get to know one another better.
2: Okay, I'm going to give you like a quick tour. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you pull into the community, if you come by car, you would park your car, and then you would get out of your car and start walking across the um, parking lot, which is in many communities, um, especially like condo and townhome communities, it's kind of a dead space, you know, it's like the cars are there and nothing else. But in co-housing, often there are amenities that wind up in that area. So for us, we have a space reserved for wood shop, we have a space reserved for bike barn, because we started to do the math on how many bikes are coming. Um, And then we have a dirty art space, because we have a potter in our group, and apparently pottery is not best uh, done indoors. So We have these spaces that are outside where you will see neighbors you know, working on something. And if somebody else is painting their trim and has the sawhorses set up, then maybe you think, oh, I should finish painting my trim too, and you come out. Or even you just stop and say hello and see what's going on. Then you would walk in past the parking area into the common green. Most co-housing is centered around some form of common green. Um, Because we're in urban development, ours is the inside of a city block. And it will have trees and some grass space. It will have a play space for children and adults. Um, We tend to not put up kind of, you know, big like formal playscapes, but rather things that are interesting to sit on and climb on and jump off of, that kind of thing. And then we would walk into the common house and in the common house on the ground floor, you would find a large open space for dining. Um, it also gets used for community meetings, it gets used for dances, it gets used for all kinds of stuff, but it's a big open space with a kitchen where you can um, prepare meals. And you would most importantly find the mail room because that's where you're going to pick up all of the things and where you'll have mm-hmm. to go every day uh, before you get to your to your place. Then if you go up to the second floor, there are a couple of open flexible spaces up there where larger groups can meet. Because you want, if you want to have a yoga class or you want to have, you know, Tom, we mentioned him, he's part of this meditation group. He'd be able to invite people over and use that space as an extension of his own home. There's also on that same floor, a guest room, which a lot of people don't think about um, guest rooms as being particularly community amenities. (laughs) Although I think it's maybe making more sense now that people use Airbnbs a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But in your own home, you might have a guest room that you just never use, you know, it's just a a dead space until the holidays when you try to cram all of your family members into it. Um, Instead, you've got the common house, so your family can come visit, they can stay in the common house, there's a restroom, a nice bedroom, they get to be a part of the community, and um, you don't have to kind of support that space all of the time. The other benefit of that is that like Airbnb or something, you know, where you have kind of a... Parting of ways at the end of the night, you're able to have your um, guests or friends come and stay in the community and see what community living is like. So it's an interesting, interesting way to kind of experience community is to go stay in somebody's common house. Um, some other, the laundry situation, yeah. usually there is a laundry room in a common house. Um, ours will have one. It has larger laundry machines than you would have in your own unit. So even if you have your own laundry, you could still do, you know, sleeping bags and comforters and that kind of stuff there. But some people will choose not to have laundry in their own unit because there's something really lovely about standing and folding your laundry next to another person. It kind of is an age old activity that, um, gives you, you know, 20 minutes of downtime that you then spend talking to someone else. So often you'll find somebody has, you know, yeah. jagged out their, their nice, clean, fresh laundry, and they're standing there folding it and you can just stand and chat and keep them company while they do that. It's really lovely. So that's your quick tour of the common house. You would then, did I yeah. miss anything? Lynn? Yeah, I'm trying to I think of what that. else I missed.
1: I, I think you've covered it um, beautifully. I, I just, when you were talking about laundry, I know I, um, I just, the first time I heard about laundry and co-housing, I thought, oh God, I mean, people not taking stuff out of the washer, (laughs) not out of the dryer. This is going to be a nightmare. And I went to, there's a a national co-housing conference every two years. And I went to one in Portland in 2019 before COVID. And we did touring. There's lots of co-housing on the West Coast. And we did uh, some tours. And the first thing I wanted to know about, I would asked this woman, take me downstairs and show me what the real story is on laundry and i kept saying well what about this doesn't pe-? and she said no it works like if you know you you got to understand that these people have figured out how to work together they're working together yeah. they're thinking about yeah. the community yeah. they're not just thinking about themselves you are no longer in college this is for grown ups you know yeah. so i was mm-hmm. very impressed and i thought <laughs> okay i can do i'm definitely in on this so
0: Well, speaking of that, this is is for grownups. What's sort of the mix? So I know you have a number of families already committed to
2: your co-housing community. Tell me what that looks like. It's funny. I was just describing this to somebody this weekend. And she was like, so do do you have mostly, you know, Gen X or boomers or like, you know, generationally, who do you have represented? And so our kind of like pat answer is we have somebody from every decade, including one couple's pregnant. So we've got like even decades to come. So we do have like, you know, chronologically people from every decade, but I would say that from life experience or from kind of openness to technology or kind of all those things that are different markers of age, I was starting to pick across like our whole community and see like where everybody is. And we definitely have some people who are retired, who are older, but they're not people who are retired and older and very set in their ways. Because again, you know, it's a self-selecting group of people who are interested in being in community. Yeah. And at the younger yeah. end, you know, we've got um, people in their twenties and thirties. And, and again, it's not like twenties and thirties and, you know, kind of the, the negative things you can think about, about that age range, you know, they kind of have their acts together. So It's kind of, if you're moving into co-housing and making that kind of a decision in your life, you're at a point in your life where you are kind of settled in yourself and you also are, again, able to, you have something to give. There's something left over to give. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, if you want some statistics, as I'm always sending out stats and charts and graphs to everybody in the group. So this is the rundown on stats. We have 23 households and in those 23 Mm -hmm. households, we have 34 adults and six children. And those are just the people who have committed. So those are the people that we Mm -hmm. call members. So they have paid a significant Mm -hmm. equity down payment to this, and they have selected their unit in the design. But then Mm -hmm. hovering around the outside layer of that, we have what we call explorers. And these explorers have come in a little bit closer. They've kind of come into the family life, if you will, the community life. And they're th- going through a discernment period. Like they're trying to figure out, is this really right for me? And in the explorer category, yeah. we have um, much younger people. And we actually have we have about four households right now. And one of them we're really excited about because they're just stepping in this week. And they have younger children so we might grow two more children onto that as well as another household, which what we would be really, really excited about. So
0: that is nice. You know, my husband and I are in our 50s and we had two new neighbors move in across the street recently and one has Three little kids. And my husband, he says, I just love standing at the window and watching them play every day. Last night, they were squirting each other with a hose. The one little girl comes over in our garden every day. She just loves our little garden. And I told my daughter, I want to get like garden fairies and put them in there. So she just is surprised one day. And then the other new neighbors have these great little puppies that we love sitting on our porch watching play. So Mm -hmm. I can only imagine how just like you're right when you, when your older people are around younger people, when you just see those various stages of family life unfold and you've been there and you want to help them and they can benefit from your experience and wisdom and maybe your time. And I mean, it's just, it sounds so idyllic. What are you most excited about?
1: Whew. Well, I, my answer is probably faster than Kelly's because she just has got so (laughs) many. She's not even going to know where to start because she knows what she's getting into. I think for me, the thing that it, when I think about them, well, it's probably two things. One is just coming home and not coming into an empty, empty space or very, very quiet Mm -hmm. space. You know, the ability to come home, like Kelly talked about getting out of your car, walking across that green, going into the common house. And I just have this vision of walking into the common house. Somebody's already started cooking dinner. I can say hello, mm-hmm. drop my stuff, maybe pitch in, go to the mailroom, but just a sense of somebody's waiting for me to arrive instead of coming yeah. to this empty. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing I have to say, I am, I am a game nutcase, and I cannot <laughs> wait. I, I, people, there better be somebody out of those twenty-three, and hopefully we'll get to thirty-three households that wants to play Scrabble and Boggle and contract Remy. I'm really, am ready. So Dave.
0: Lynn, you need to you need to work on my husband. He would just, he would, he's the same way. He always wants to be doing a yeah, puzzle yeah, puzzles, or, yeah. you know.
1: See, if you live next door, we would oh. be doing this, but you live six blocks away, it's too far. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's <writing> so far. <sighs> Kelly, what about you, what do you- Well, you know, it's interesting because being
1: part of a forming
2: group, uh, actually does a lot of the things that I look forward to, you know, having that um, group of people who I'm excited to um, see them on a Friday night after a long day. I'm looking forward to being in a meeting with mm-hmm. them. I think that that's probably a really, a really telling sign that I enjoy the people in my community. Um, but once we move in, it's definitely community dinner, you know, that just feeling of sitting down, eating meals, you didn't prepare yourself (laughs) or you didn't have Mm -hmm. delivered (laughs) or you didn't, you know, yeah. Having some uh, neighbor who took the time Mm -hmm. to make soup and bread a couple hours before, and then you sit down and you get to eat that food and your kids are off at, you know, the kids table with their friends and you get to see everyone and just that, that really settled feeling of being home and it's not all on your shoulders. I really look forward to that.
0: Yep. That sounds great. Right. When you talk about Friday nights, I just noticed that like Friday night, we kind of always want to do something. My husband's on a second career this year. I think Lynn knows this, but he he left the oil industry and he's a sixth grade math teacher oh, at a charter school cool. down by Hobby Airport. So, I mean, he is tired <laughs> on Friday night, but we kind of want to do something. But we're too tired to yes. do anything, and I'm I'm counseling and podcasting all week. But so like it's sort of like we we want to sit on the front porch with people, but we don't want to call yes. anyone. We don't want to get drinks and appetite. Like we just so it's this is exactly what you're saying. Like they'll just yes. be there. You don't have to really even make yes. plans. Uh, and then if you're done, you just go back in your room yes, in your house. exactly. You know,
2: or you, you get tired leave. and you just. Take walk yourself home and that's fine. And nobody has an yeah. expectation like, oh, that's weird that she left at 730 and went to bed. <laughs> it's more like she had a yeah. long week. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Gosh, I want to have like a part two. We need to wrap up here, but I'm thinking about like, there have to be sort of, I'm sure there's lots of like um provisions for when there are disputes and how yes. to kind of work through that and that might be another an interesting thing to do an episode on that about how to i mean we're talked about how to build the community by design but then how to keep yes. it a peaceful community and maybe that'll be part two once y'all are in and going um or even just in a few months. So if people want to find out more about this, where should they go? And we'll put all this in okay, the Okay, great. So
1: the first thing is of course we have a website and vast presence on social media. So the website is www.cohousinghouston.com and we're present in every kind of channel you can imagine in social media from Nextdoor to Twitter to Facebook to Instagram and Kelly puts out something at least 3 times a week and then the rest of us you know, you know, put other stuff out there. So that's really the the thing. But if you if you want to go scratch a little bit deeper than that, you should go to sign up for one of our uh, public information sessions on Zoom. And we have those three times a month at different times of the day. Um, different points in the month, so that it should hit whatever your work schedule is or your personal life schedule is. And we'll go through some of the basics of co housing, how that works, and we'll actually give you a uh, virtual fly through of the description that Kelly gave. We actually have a little video, a four minute video, that she does this fabulous okay. narration of, but you get the visual as well as the audio too. And then, if you really, really, really want to know more—which we would hope that everybody would want to—then you come in as an explorer. So you then say, you know, I'm pretty interested. I'd like to put in $150 and get really close. Have you guys give me an in-depth orientation? Meet people who are making all of these decisions. Come to our internal meetings. Um, you can also then uh, you meet with the finance person and the finance team on your own. You can meet with a design person. You can look at all the different layouts, et cetera. I think the thing that we impress upon people in this is that we're we're not selling real estate here. We're selling community. Yeah. So community first is yeah. what we lead out with. And that's where we really kind of yeah. run up against what the way normal kind of real estate works because everybody wants to come and say, what's the price? What's the layout? I'm like, no, and then they feel, right. some people feel a little bit weird that we, like, are you hiding something? Why won't you show me that? Well, mm-hmm. we will show you eventually, mm-hmm. but we really want to make sure that you are interested in the community, because if you're not interested in community, you can go, you know, buy into some other condo down the road, but we, we're about community first. Yeah. So, and of course, yeah. don't forget, there's also the national network, cohousing.org, which glues together and networks the several hundred communities that have either been forming and established, some of them over 30 years now. And it's a vast resource with videos and a directory of other co-housing projects across the nation. So you could look at all kinds of pictures. Um, There's a lot of them that are also very urban, like we're going to be. So you get an idea of what urban one is, because a lot of the first ones were much more kind of like organic farming cooperatives, but um, there's now moving into the urban world too. Did I miss anything, Kelly? No,
2: I think that's it. I think that's it. But definitely, you know, if this, if this sparks some curiosity, it's worth looking at, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept. And I think that when people start to look into it, it not only tells them something about co-housing, but it also tells them something about their own lives and how they can take some of those concepts, even if they can't move, you know, you can take some of those same concepts and implement them in your own life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have learned so much talking to both of you. You're great ambassadors um, for co-housing. You make it sound really exciting and appealing. And I just thank you so much for your time. This is all about connecting. And so it couldn't be a more perfect topic. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully, you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe, and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area.